You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Amen. Thank you, worship team. And take your Bibles, if you will, and open up to Matthew chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, our wonderful handsome ushers will uh, walk down the aisle and they've got a stack of Bibles in their hands. Just wave at them and they'd be happy to uh, wave back and then give you a Bible to borrow. So I encourage you to do that. And if you don't have a Bible and you would like one, uh, after the service, you can go in the lobby area and write this big long desk that's there. Say, hey, can I have a Bible? And they'd be happy to give you one. All we ask is that you read it. But I encourage you to get your own. You know, buy one so you can mark it up, underline it. It's always good to do that. Take out your worship folder as well. Uh, Turn it over to the outline section that's there. Uh, If you didn't get your prayer card in, please do that because we do love to pray for you about all kinds of things that are going on in your life. Uh, we're, uh, as uh, Stan mentioned, we're in the middle of our, uh, our the beginnings of our campaign, His Story, Our Story, My Story. And th- there's a, there are a number of elements of this campaign. Uh, one is that on Sunday mornings, you're going to be hearing about God's story, uh, mostly about Jesus, because it's His story, it's all about Him. And we've been singing about Him this morning and the great wonder and awe that we have of what Christ has done for us and what Christ does in us. But God's story is meant to be lived in. And, and so it, there's a collective part of that, which is our story, where we gather together. And that's why small groups is so important. It's an opportunity for you to gain uh, insight and develop some relationships and, and develop a, a good community that you can surround with and get to know and they can get to know you and a little vulnerability, which we'll talk about this morning. But that Christian community is important. So I really encourage you to be in a small group. And as, I, as Stan said, if you don't have one, come to our small, large group. And, uh, and it's a real fun, it's, it sit around tables and you get to know some people, but, but there's tons of ones out in the lobby area you can get involved in and encourage you with those, they're great small groups, but do also that individual part of the campaign is to pick up a devotional. And we don't want money to be an issue, we know some of you can afford to pay for a few, so do that, some of you can't, and that's fine. Just pick one of these up and begin to start reading through it. The author of the first week is really awesome, just so you know that. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> and humble, <laughs> which is our topic for today, which is kind of ironic. But, but it's all about story. And, uh, um, but don't you love uh, an inspiring story? Uh, they're great. I, I like the one about the original Colonel Sanders. Do, do you know that story? At the age of six, lost his father and had to help his mom care for his younger siblings. That's really where some say he learned how to cook. He, he dropped out of school at sixth grade and was fired from a variety of jobs throughout his life. He started uh, cooking chicken at a roadside shell station in the 1930s at the age of 40. Over the next 10 years, he perfected his secret recipe, those 11 herbs and spices, (laughs) and also the the pressure uh, frying cooking method of his famous fried chicken. Uh, It got, got so famous, he moved to a bigger venue. And his chicken was praised. It was actually praised by the governor there. And uh, uh, that's where he got the title colonel from. Also, uh, there was a restaurant uh, uh, um, critics at that point. One of the greatest critics that people followed all the time was a a guy named Duncan Hines. 
that name sound familiar to you? The, the cakes say it all the time, but he was a, a food critic, and, 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 and they, he loved his chicken, and so everybody wanted to go to the Colonel's Chicken. However, uh, as the interstate came through a different part of the Kentucky town where the Colonel's Restaurant was located, uh, it took away important road traffic, and the Colonel was forced to close the business and retire, essentially broke. Worried about how he was going to survive off his meager $105 a month pension check at the age of 65, he set out to find restaurants who would franchise his secret recipe. He wanted a nickel for each piece of chicken sold. Now just think about that, how much chicken gets consumed from that place. He drove around, sleeping in his car, was rejected for more than a thousand times till finally he found his first partner. And now his chicken is worldwide. I've been to to Egypt, I've seen his chicken there. I've been to to Jordan, I've seen Colonel Sanders there. The places I've been all over the world, I've seen Kentucky Fried Chicken. There's even one right up the street. Hearing stories like these uh, shape our thinking. They, they motivate us. If a, this person can do this, maybe I can too. And we're inspired, we're moved, we're injected with a bit of courage. Like many people have with the story of J.K. Rowling, the author of the famous Harry Potter series. Um, she had just gotten a divorce on government aid and can barely afford to feed her baby in 1994. Inspired by C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, and if you read her books, you can hear them, actually, their style in, in her writings. But, but inspired by these, she continued to write, and she would work late into the night in the coffee shops. One of them was called The Elephant House, where she read and, and, and wrote and, and, uh, pub- and typed out her, uh, her manuscripts. As a matter of fact, she, they said that she was so poor that she couldn't afford a computer or to photocopy the 90,000-word novel that she had created, so she hand-typed out each copy to present to publishers, which she was turned down and rejected dozens of times until finally Bloomsbury, a small London publisher, gave it a second chance after the CEO's eight-year-old daughter fell in love with it. And it has become the greatest literary phenomenon of all times. What an, what an incredible story. Normal, humble people finding their destiny. And their story shapes our story. Uh, we're inspired. Well, God's story does the same thing. It's much like these stories. Not only does it include stories of people, like Noah, a normal, righteous man chosen to save all of mankind and animals. Or the story of Moses, the, the son of a slave becoming the prince of Egypt, then a murderer, then a deliverer of a nation. We're inspired by the courage of Joshua, the humility of Rahab, the, the heart of David, the wisdom of Solomon, the faith of Ruth, the sacrifice of Hosea, and the life change of, of Matthew and John and Paul and Mary and Lazarus. We're, we're inspired by them. And yet God's story includes these, but also about God, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. The story of revelation. God's story is a story of revelation. It's, it's his, him revealing himself through the scriptures and, and through the nature of what we see and through Jesus. That we can understand about him. And it's his revelation. His story is about telling the world about himself. 
And it's also a story about separation, that man has uh, been separate from God because of our sin. When Adam sinned, he infected all of us, and inside of our genes, our DNA is this sin nature, which is separate from God. And there's nothing we can do humanly to bridge the gap. And so, G- so God decided to, to create a redemption process through Jesus, who would come to this world to pay the penalty for our sin when he died on the cross. And we are redeemed, taken from the sinful life, which is eternal separation from, from God, now brought into and available for redemption when we believe, when we come to faith, when we have that step of uh, where we acknowledge, yes, we're sinful, we need a savior, and it's Jesus. And then the story doesn't end there. It's a, it's a restoration process. That when we get saved, when we come to Christ, then we begin from that point on, begin to grow as God intended us to grow. Restored to the person that he designed us to be. That's God's story. And God uses his story and these others in the story to shape us like clay, to mold us and to restore us to the shape that he desires for us if we allow him to have that influence in our life if we allow him to have that, that potter's hands around us as we're spun on the wheel of life to be shaped by him. And that's what we've set out this campaign to do, to slap us on that wheel <laughs> and to get us spinning, letting God's story shape us. God's story uh, move and mold and shape us and understanding how we fit into that story we collectively as a group and us individually. Last week we talked how God's story is a, is a radical story that Jesus is calling us to. So we got a, a glimpse of John the Baptist and then viewed his story, a, a radical being that seemed to brought together Old Testament and New Testament in this one character of John the Baptist. And this week we continue as we look at Jesus and discover a unique quality of his nature and a unique reality of God's story. You see, God's story is, is not a story of pride or, or arrogance or conceit or, or vanity or egoism. No, God's story is a humble story, revealing a, revealed in a simple act recorded in all four Gospels. They're listed on your outline there. We're going to look at Matthew's account of this, Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 17 as we discover, discover three humble traits of God's story in Jesus' baptism. So let's look at that. Before we do, set your books aside and stand up and let's pray. God has something for you today. A challenge, an encouragement, uh, something he wants you to gain from our time together today. Let's ask the Holy Spirit, who God has given us, to help us learn be engaged in our hearts. Father, thank you for the reality uh, of Christ and what he has done. And Lord, we are stronger. We are, he is stronger and we are stronger because of that. And, And Lord, that you have given yourself to us and there's nothing that's greater than you, Jesus. And, and we understand that. So Lord, help us and teach us this morning as we take a look into your word. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Have a seat and Take out your outline, and there's blanks there. Now, those answers will be up on the screen. And again, I'm going to give you a lot of extra verses now. Sometimes you think, man, why does Mike give us so much extra verses? Why does he just read them to us? Because I want to challenge you to actually get home, open up your Bible, and look at it yourself. So get into God's Word. That's why I give you a ton of verses. So hopefully one day, maybe, 
You pull out the outline and you go, oh, let me look up that verse again. So write those verses down. They're up on the screen. If you miss it for some reason, email me. I'd be happy to send you all the verses. Three humble traits of God's story in Jesus' baptism. The first humble trait is that God's story is a humble story of constant surrender. Let's look in on uh, Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 15 in this first section. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan, that's the river Jordan, to John, John the Baptist that we talked about last week. To be baptized by him, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John the Baptist consented and baptized him. And as we learned last week, John's baptism is a baptism of repentance. It was a, a public declaration. People would realize their sin as John was out there preaching, and they'd say, I need to make a change. And so they would come into the water, and they would be dunked, and then come back out as kind of a resolve, I'm going to live differently. They recognize their sin. And they, they recognize that this act, as they're getting all wet, was as if they were going to say, I'm going to be all into this now new way of life. And they were saying to others, I want you to see this. I want you to hold me accountable, to help me. It's like uh, in the past, uh, there was altar calls and people would come to the front and you'd see these people come to the front and you would know them and pray for them. And, or, or a camp, some of you who have heard of Hume Lake or have been to Hume Lake, they have a, a ceremony at the end of the time called Victory Circle where the whole camp gets together and there's a big bonfire in the middle and the kids stand up and share their testimony of what God has done in their life. Or maybe in your small group where you get honest with each other and Say, here's what I'm struggling with and I need to make a difference and will you help me? It's, it's being vulnerable. It's humbling. It's saying, I submit, I surrender to what God wants. In action, we should be doing more of. Look at what James 5.16 says. A challenge to us to this area of constant surrender. Therefore, confess your sins one to another And pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is is great, has great power as it is working. There's something that energizes us when we're together and we actually humble ourselves together and are under this this sense of of constantly surrendering to God and and sharing with others in that. Our our current practice of baptism is a a picture of surrender. It's a little different. In other words, that the act of baptism is a... a, uh, um, an act of something that's already happened in us. We've already come to faith in Jesus and we want to tell everybody else around us, hey, we're saved. So we're going to go through this act of baptism because God says so. Matter of fact, if you have not yet been baptized, I encourage you to pick out one of the cards and say, hey, I want to get baptized. Leave us your contact information. We'll get you baptized and have that wonderful ceremony. Many of you witnessed and and encourage you to sign up for that. But but we should be in life seeking to be honest and vulnerable and real with others and with the issues of our life. Now, now Jesus is perfect. 
and never needs to repent. So his baptism wasn't a baptism of repentance. It was a, it was a humbly surrendering to be an example. Matter of fact, take your Bibles and, and flip over to Philippians. It's east of where you are. Just keep going. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, uh, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, you're there. Philippians chapter 2. Really, the whole chapter is great, but let me start in verse 3. It's a formula for a life of surrender. It's an example, and Christ is the greatest example of surrender here. But listen to this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but, with, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. One of the ways of being uh, constantly surrendering is, is, is to actually consider yourself lower. The word humility here actually means to place yourself under. So put yourself under and put others above. To, me, to surrender is to be humble in that regard. Verse four, let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. In other words, you should care about what, others, what other people are going through. Not always trying to figure out how to tell your story, but actually listening to other stories. One of the ways that, that you are humble, one of the ways that you show this idea of constant surrender is to surrender the, the talking time about you to be less and the talking time about other people to be more. Uh, it's, it's an idea of listening to them and, and, and understanding what they're going through and letting them express their feelings. Verse five, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God the thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ, who, who is God, stepped aside of his glorious godliness to become a, a man, to squeeze himself into the tininess of a man, humbling himself of that. In the same way, you may be some glorious position, a manager, a, a president, a, a teacher, or whatever. We are to humble ourselves. And not think so highly of ourselves, but to humble ourselves before others and, and, and constantly surrender and certainly surrender to God. Jesus did that. And if Jesus can surrender, so should we. Not only did Jesus humble himself to go through the act of baptism, but it validated John's ministry. When Jesus was baptized by John, it validated that idea of repentance, that people should repent and says, Jesus, and says of Jesus through this act that because he submits, we should submit. Because he surrendered, we should surrender. Because he obeyed God, we should obey God. See, God's story is not about the conquest of good over evil or the glories of heaven or the, the blessings of, of life lived out. It's not just about that. It's, it's about humility. The humility of the main character of God's story, which is Jesus. Willing to surrender to God. The question is, will you? Will you surrender to God? Making God's story our story and, and my individual story is to live a life of constant surrender. You might want to write down these, these passages here. James chapter 4, verse 7, it, it's talking about dealing with the enemy. And, he, and it says very clearly, very emphatically, and, 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 and with command uh, language uh, uh, submit to God. 
Place yourself under God. Submit to his leadership in your life. That's how we surrender. Another way to surrender is as Romans 12, 2 says, it says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To renew our mind God's way. Not always think that we need to go our path, but consult God's word and understand it enough to seek it, to use it as a guide in life. And as Proverbs 23, 26 says, to give God your heart. Obey God. The question is, will you choose to live a life of surrender like Jesus? That's his story. What's your story? Anybody want to make a a public declaration like I do that I want to live a life of constant surrender? Anybody like that? Raise your hand. Okay, let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the reality that we need to live a life of surrender. Too much, Lord, I know for me, I, I want to take control. I want to be important and first and over. <laughs> and yet, Lord, a lot of times I, I, I don't take that surrender path. Help me to do that. Forgive me for not surrendering as I should. Help me to be humble like Jesus. Help me to follow his example. Help each one of us to do the same. We pray in your son's name. Amen. The next humble trait is that God's story is a humble story of continual support. Go back to uh, now Matthew chapter 3 again, verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he, that's John, saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Now, now we're not sure if this was an actual dove or some peaceful sense or some force was there or some scene that John saw, but John saw the heavens open up and he saw the Holy Spirit come down and rest on Jesus. It was a sign, a sign that Jesus had received the constant and continual support of God's Holy Spirit, just like we do. Write down these verses. John chapter 14, verse 16. And John chapter 14, verse 26. You can actually read the ones in between 16 and 26. But those two verses talk to us and tell us that that Jesus sends to us a helper. Sends to us the Holy Spirit. To help us, to guide us, to understand the words of God and to apply them to your life. You know when you read the Bible or like when you're reading your devotional and you read that, that passage there and all of a sudden something jumps out at you going, ooh, ooh, where'd that come from? came from the Holy Spirit. Or like when you're talking to somebody about, about God and all of a sudden, boom, a verse pops into your head and you go, where did that come from? From the Holy Spirit. Or you're walking along and, and you have the potential to sin and all of a sudden you hear this voice inside you says, don't do that. That's the Holy Spirit. When you come to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes alongside you and gives you constant and consistent help. God's story is is not a story of a maverick type lone wolves who do their own thing. It's a story of humble people like Jesus who get constant help, not to enable, but to empower. Uh, Read the next chapter, uh, Matthew for, uh, four, or Matthew, yeah, Matthew four, and, and look at Jesus' his temptation in that. 
you can see the Holy Spirit empowering Jesus. Doesn't take away the, the, the temptation, but gives him the strength to handle it. We have help. We have support. We're not abandoned or left alone or thrown into the deep end and go, ha, sink or swim. It's not like that. God is with us. All of God is with us. These are such important passages. You've got to write these down. Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, it says, God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's repeated again in Hebrews, but he says it here first. In Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And in John 14, 16, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will be with us forever. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit will never leave you. They're always there. So you're never alone. <laughs> I was on the way back from uh, uh, visiting uh, in, in Japan, and, and I, I hate to be alone. I mean, maybe to go to the bathroom, that's about it. But I, I want to be, be with people everywhere and all the time. And, and, and so, you know, Takeshi stuck me on a train and says, you know, just get off at the airport and you'll figure it out. I'm going, <laughs> and, and so I'm just, I, I'm, I was able to text Christy. So I'm texting my wife, Christy, going, man, I just feel so alone. And she just said to me back, you're not alone. God is with you. And an incredible, just a, a Peace and joy flooded my life. I'm not, I'm never alone. How awesome is that? You know, especially for an extrovert like me who loves to be around people. I got, I got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit always around me. Always ever present there. So yield to the support of the Holy Spirit who will lead you. He leads you through temptation to, to, to strengthen us. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not tempt you beyond what you're able so that you will have a way out. The Holy Spirit will guide you. He will give you that way out. Now you have to choose to yield to that way out. But the Holy Spirit will always give you a way out. There's always one. And through trial, the Holy Spirit will help you build endurance. James chapter one, uh, verse two to four. Consider it pure joy, brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result that you may be complete, adequate, able to live life as God intended. The way you have that endurance is by yielding to the Holy Spirit. And not to say, oh, I just don't want the trial. I don't want the hardship. I don't want the difficulty. No, he says, I will strengthen you through that if you yield to him. And through tribulation to, to refine us. I love what 2 Corinthians 12 verses 5 to 10 talk about. This is the Apostle Paul who struggled with some ailment, something he called a thorn in his flesh. And he asked the Lord constantly to, to get rid of it for him. And he prayed time after time after time and yet God didn't. Instead of cursing God, say, oh, you don't care. You don't care about me. You don't love me. No, he said, God, your grace is sufficient because the Apostle Paul understood that he deserved nothing, absolutely nothing. He deserved the, the full reality of his sin. All the, 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 the weight and the separation and the ugliness of sin, he deserved that. But only because of Christ, he now does not have to face that. And so if this small trial is what he has to endure to build strength in him, to give glory to God, then so be it, because your grace is sufficient for me, Paul says. This yielding is how we join God's story. Jesus did it and so should we. How many of you, like me, need the Holy Spirit's continual 
support, then stand up and let's pray. Father, I thank you for those who are standing who admit they need the constant support of your spirit. Lord, life is, is tough. And I know that some of my friends here are facing insurmountable difficulties. And they need great support. Lord, we stand as a people in need. We can't do it on our own. We can't make it today. We don't have the strength to make it today. So Father, help us. Let your Holy Spirit give us that infuse of power to make us stronger to make it through this day. Help us, Lord. Thank you. We confess our self-sufficiency and want to put our sufficiency in you. Guide us, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Have a seat. One more humble trait of God's story. For God's story is a humble story of celebrated suffering. Look at verse 17. As this scene opened up, as John takes Jesus out of the water and this spirit descended on him in some form, verse 17, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. As John the Baptist heard this, as those who were there present in that on the Jordan River heard this, as those who would read about this later would recall Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 4, that God is pleased with the coming of Messiah. Because John the Baptist was preaching about Messiah coming, one who is, he is not even worthy to untie or carry the sandals of this one. And God himself, in a booming voice out of heaven, which is enough to get everybody's attention, <laughs> in a sense said, this is Messiah. But not just any of that. They would have recalled Isaiah 53, which talks of the suffering servant. Look at Isaiah 53, verse 5 on the screen. But he, Messiah, we know that to be Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. And here in our text, in Matthew 3, When God referred to this, this is my beloved son. That's what they would have thought of. This celebrated suffering of Messiah, as well as a personal affirming of Jesus. What's interesting, if you read uh, Mark and Luke's account of of this occurrence, they they say this. Um, Go ahead and show Luke's account right here. There he goes. The Holy Spirit descended on him like a bodily form, like a dove. And the voice came from heaven saying, you are my, you, speaking to Jesus, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. God was affirming Christ because he knew exactly what was going to happen in his life. And God affirms us as well. We need to believe that. You see, God's story is is not a, a Disney story. It's a difficult story full of suffering and battles. Like, like some of you have read or, or seen the movie, The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it seems like every part you go on, it's like, oh my gosh, what is ever going to get good? <coughs> and there's little points of that. 
But life is full of ups and downs. Struggles in marriages, victories at work, difficulties with health, blessing of good friends, joy of serving, tragedies of other sins like abuse and neglect and alcoholism. And yet even in these times of suffering, the promise and reality is clear. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. These times of suffering can shape us, as James 1 talks about. And God uses these, and we can celebrate. We can celebrate that this isn't as good as it gets. That this will end and be better. And he will turn our mornings into dancing again. You see, unfortunately, we have this, this entitled expectations, a, a prosperity gospel mentality where we are owed the dancing. We are owed the good times, all the blessings of heaven because of our efforts. If I pray, I should get. If I give, I should have more. If I go to church, nothing bad should happen to me, at least on that day. <laughs> That is an unfortunate, misguided way of thinking. The stark reality is God's story, seen in Jesus, is a humble story of suffering, yet celebrated suffering. What we need to do is to repent from this entitled thinking and jump into God's story, knowing that it's going to involve suffering. Anybody want to make a public declaration you desire to repent of this entitled mentality and say, I'm going to endure and even celebrate the suffering? Hold your hand up. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you. Um, we need to hear messages like this. And Lord, I know I, I, I confess my own uh, entitled mentality and prosperity gospel thinking that if I do these righteous things, life should be better for me. If I do this act, then, 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 then somehow I deserve more. And Lord, that's simply not true. You walk us through life with its ups and downs. The great reality of this celebrated suffering, Lord, is that you turn those into good things. Even those difficult, heinous things that could happen, you will turn it into something good. And we also know that this is not the end. Help us to live rightly, just like Jesus and to endure the suffering, celebrating, know that this will end soon. And Lord, that you will walk us through this. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. What's your story going to be? What's your story going to be in, this, in God's humble story? For God's story is a humble story of constant surrender. We're to embrace that surrender. God's story is a story of continual support. We need to yield to the Holy Spirit's st- uh, support in that. And God's story is a humble story of celebrated suffering where we build the endurance of suffering. Our hope and our prayer is that you would grasp a hold of that reality and um, let it infuse your life with hope. Let it move you to place yourself under, just like Jesus, who though he, Lord of all, creator of everything, Master and high, holy, supreme, awesome God 
humbled himself, squeezing himself into the tininess of a man and even be willing to go to the cross for us. And that's why we celebrate communion is to help us to remember the suffering of Christ. It was on a a, a night, uh, uh, the night before he was actually taken and beaten and uh, mistreated and beard ripped out and scourged. And he had a Passover time with his disciples. And in that Passover meal, it's all about redemption. It's redeeming the Israelites out of the slavery of Egypt. But Jesus took the pieces of that meal and made them something new, which he does all the time, even with you and me. And he, he redeemed those elements, the, the bread, saying that this is my body, that, that, that through him, this, this body of believers, uh, there were, the unity that we'd have, uh, the, the excitement that, of, of being together, the connectedness, that, and, and what he did in his physical body redeems us from the, the slavery of sin and, and his blood. The, the, cup, the grape juice is red like blood. It doesn't become blood. The body doesn't become the physical body of Christ. They're just simply representations of Christ. That juice represents his death that, that he died for us. He paid the penalty for our sin that we might close that gap and have this wonderful relationship with him to live in the, in the humility of God's story. And so each Sunday of the campaign, we're going to have communion. And so if those who are helping prepare communion would come at this time and, and ready the, uh, the elements there. Our tradition is that we have uh, four stations, two up front here and two in the back. And our custom is, is that I'll pray and then when you're ready, you come and collect the elements, collect a cracker and a cup and head back to your seat. And, and, and in this particular Sunday focus on on what Christ did for you personally and and think of and, and thank him for that because of the intensity of the of the ceremony it's important that you make sure that you're right with God confess any sin that you've got just right before the Lord as you're holding on to the elements and and then when everybody's been served we'll partake together and, and go from there so let me pray and then when you're ready you can come and collect the elements father thank you Thank you for the reality of, Lord Jesus, what you've done on the cross, that, that not only did you reveal yourself and, and, and help us understand the separation of sin, but, but Jesus, you came down. You humbled yourself to become a man, limited to bring us salvation, to redeem us from the sinful pull that would eventually pull us into hell. So Lord Jesus, thank you. And as we partake these elements, help us to think of you and remind us of the great joy that we have in you. We pray this in your son's name.